Monday. It doesn't have to be home drum, and it never is if you're in the Weather Jazz family. Hi, this is Dante Jones from Fox 8. It's Meteorological Monday. Always prepared, sunny side up. Here's Andre. 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 Everybody, happy Monday. Welcome to Weather Jazz, a world audience podcast about anything and everything weather, science, earth science, and a whole lot more. I am your host and the creator of the Weather Jazz podcast, Andre Bordier. I'm the senior meteorologist on staff with WJW Television in Cleveland, Ohio, and this is episode number 500. And 44. It's Monday, July 10th, 2023, and we've got some big, big news coming to you. And we have some listener questions, too, coming your way in just a moment. But before we take care of any of that business, let me tell you right up front that after waiting several days, really since right around the 5th of July, which was last Wednesday, that was the first day 3,000 earthquakes occurred on the Reykjanes Peninsula, southwest of Reykjavik, Iceland. And it was at that time that the volcanologists said the magma is on the move. It's trying to find a way to the surface. And they were all saying it's just a matter of time as to where between Mount Gilead and uh, Fagradalsviak, the former uh, eruption site, there was a line in between the two, and that's where the magma was. And so it was trying to find, essentially, a way to the surface between those two points. Well, that has occurred. The eruption in the Reykjanes Peninsula, the third one in as many years, has begun. All right, everybody, according to RUV, R-U-V, which is the Icelandic National Television Network, the magma plumes are now rising from a 200-meter-long crack, according to a post on the Met Office Facebook page. It also cautions everyone that walking to the eruption site, at least right now, is going to be long and the terrain challenging. You see, there's no pathway like the one that was foraged for the second eruption, and the first one, too, for that matter, of Fagradatsviak. The Icelandic civil defense basically has declared a state of emergency in that part of the Reykjanes Peninsula, and the National Police Commissioner urges people not to go near the site, not right now, because it is still essentially in its development stage. More cracks could form, the crack could get bigger, magma could find its way to the surface in various other places. And so there's a reasonable amount of uncertainty with the eruption that has just begun. As of this recording, which is just before the 2 p.m. hour on a Monday, the eruption began about one hour and 20 minutes ago. So right around 12.40 p.m. our time, Eastern Time Zone, 4.20 p.m. local time, Iceland time. So this is just the beginning. We'll, of course, have updates 
as this continues to develop. All right, today is Meteorological Monday, and we had two questions that I've been hanging on to. They come from the same person. That person called the Weather Jazz Podcast Audience Connect line twice and left two separate questions. Both were very, very good. And so we're going to tackle both of them right now. So here is the first question that came in on the Weather Jazz Podcast Audience Connect line. That's 234-525-5888. If there's ever a question that is on your mind about weather, earth science, or even outside of that, something that maybe we know something about. You just never know until you ask, right? So that's the number to call, and you can always get there by going to the website, weatherjazz.com, and clicking on the Contacts tab at the very top. You'll get that number, and you'll get my email address as well. Okay, here is the first question. Andre, this is Janet, and I'm in Florence Township, Ohio, in Erie County. Why is there such a big deal about determining whether or not a storm was actually a tornado? What is the difference between it being a tornado and not being a tornado? Is it simply an academic exercise, or is there some um, legal or insurance or some other factor that makes it important to know whether it was a tornado? I was just curious, because you always hear that they have to come out and determine if it's a tornado. And I wonder, why do they have to do that? Thank you. Janet, that is a fabulous question. Very well phrased. And so what is the big deal? And I'll tell you in just a moment, but in order to frame it properly in context, there's an interesting point that actually comes out as a result of Janet's question. You see, tornadoes are extremely local in the sense that the damage path can be as narrow as 50 yards wide. And of course, it can be several hundred yards wide, dependent on just exactly how strong the tornado was. Now, in the case of a small tornado, the damage from it is extremely limited, as opposed to, for instance, a frontline wind squall or a frontline gust front which can exceed 70, 80, 90, even 100 miles per hour in a duration. That would be a very wide swath of damage. Now, often, whenever we have these uh, duratios or very strong frontline wind, straight-line wind damage areas that occur from thunderstorms, so often we hear it from people that give us a call or send us a message on social media saying that, hey, a tornado came through when in fact it was straight line wind damage. It doesn't really matter what produced the damage. Instantly, a person's first thought is a tornado came through. Nine times out of 10, that's not going to be the case. It's going to be straight line wind damage, a gust front, or similar very wide area, geographical area event. However, there is a fascination with tornadoes. Tornadoes have a very, very specific damage pattern. It is counterclockwise. You can see it in very, very short distance. 
And when you get large tornadoes or larger tornadoes, EF2, EF3, EF4 and higher, the damage is just beyond mind-boggling. I've seen it for myself in Toledo about 10 or so years ago when we did a whole week's worth of coverage after a Sunday night tornado affected a suburb east of Toledo. We saw houses that were completely flattened, demolished right to the ground, while the house right next to it, hardly any damage occurred. It is highly specific and it is very, very focused. So these types of systems do get special attention. You can see trends with them, for instance, about the severity of severe weather, severe weather swaths and areas, along with conditions that are favorable to tornadoes, something which is very, very specific. And that is kept track of. Now, I must also say that over the course of the last several decades, people are becoming much more cognizant with their video phones. And so they're whipping out their phones and they're taking videos of these tornadoes. And so with increasing population across the USA and with the increasing number of people who can actually record things like tornadoes, the number of them have increased, but now we have to determine just exactly does that mean that the number has actually increased over time, or does that mean that more of them have been observed, or maybe the answer is somewhere in between. So I hope that is helpful, Janet. There are a lot of helpful parameters that we can calculate as a result of narrowing down just what exactly produces damage from a summertime thunderstorm. Now, Janet also called a little bit later with another question, and this one, too, is a fascinating one. So here is Janet's second question on the Weather Jazz Podcast Audience Connect line. My question is, we live about a mile from the turnpike, and some days when we go out, the turnpike noise is very loud, and other times it's just barely perceivable. I was wondering what the weather conditions, what the difference in the weather conditions that would allow the, the noise to be more pronounced on some days and less pronounced on other days. Is it um, barometric pressure or whatever? Thank you. Bye. Again, this is a fabulous question. Now, I have uh, heard it phrased several ways in the past, and I have answered that basically via email, but I think this is the first time this question has come in via the Weather Jazz Podcast Audience Connect line. So I'm glad somebody brought this up so that we could address this with the Weather Jazz audience. So let's deal with sound. That's where we're going to start. Sound waves need a medium to propagate because if you went on the moon or if you went on any other planet that does not have an atmosphere at all, if you smack two boards together, you would not hear it because sound needs a medium in order to propagate. That medium is the air. The air is fluid. Now, fluid sounds like a liquid. It's not necessarily a liquid, but it can be. But air also is a 
fluid because you can generate sound in Lake Erie, for instance, down on the bottom. And you can generate sound above the lake because there's a fluid there. It's a different density. And so because of the difference in densities, sound will travel at a different speed in water compared to air. Maybe that's another focus for another time. But you need a medium for the sound waves to carry. Now, there are a couple of parameters that will change that will change the speed and the intensity of the propagation of that sound. Now, the sound is coming from the turnpike. All right, let's talk about air that is warm and humid. The more humid and the warmer the air is, the less dense it is. And because of that, the sound waves will not be as strong as when the air is denser, more dense, when it's colder, and when there's less humidity. Believe it or not, when there's less or fewer water molecules in the air, the air will be more dense. The denser the air, the better the propagation of that sound will be. So temperature and humidity does play a role. But that role is secondary compared to the role of the air in motion, the wind. For instance, if you're downwind of the turnpike and the wind is, say, pushing from the turnpike towards your house, chances are you're going to hear the sounds of the turnpike much better than if the wind was pushing away. So if you are south of the turnpike and you have a north wind, you're going to hear the sounds of the turnpike, whereas if there's a south wind, it's going to tend to push the sound waves or inhibit the sound waves from reaching your ear south of the turnpike as well or as efficiently. Will it reach your ears? It should. However, it will be less effective and with a lesser intensity, and thus your ear will not hear quite as much of the sound from the turnpike with a south wind if you live south of the turnpike. I hope both answers make a lot of sense to you. And it was a privilege to be able to answer those for you, Janet. And if you, too, have a question, I'm always waiting for your voicemail. You can always call the Weather Jazz Podcast Audience Connect line 234-525-5888. Okay, we're going to keep an eye on the newly started eruption in southwest Iceland in the Reykjanes Peninsula as well as I'm working on something that uh, hopefully will be kind of fun for Science Wednesday. We've been doing a big Blue Marble series. I'm hoping to return back to that in a unique way on Wednesday. We'll catch you then. Weather and science across the globe.